0: Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human podcast. This is episode 104. It is with my friend Dr. Yasmin Van Wilt. She's a phenomenal human being. Uh, she's a an activist, an artist, a musician, a director, songwriter. The list goes on and on and on. You might find her at Columbia University or at Union College or Carnegie Mellon. Um, she's a brilliant mind, and I was just really tickled that uh, she sat down with me and had this conversation. Um, a couple of really exciting things are going on with her right now. So she uh, co-wrote a song called Folded Flag that the artist Aaron Lewis cut, and she is releasing it in her own right as an artist on July 4th. She'll talk about that in the episode. And she also has a PBS special right now called Into the Light. So, you can check your local PBS affiliate to catch that show, and I encourage you to do so. Um, she does work with EverFi and I mean, she's got so much stuff going on. We talk about all of this, and uh, it's really wonderful. She's, she's really uh, a force in the world, and it's exciting to, to follow her uh, many, many, many <laughs> adventures. You can find uh, a lot of the things that we're talking about on the links page for Hey Human. And uh, I hope you do so. I try and, every episode to keep that nice and up-to-date. So check out the links page, heyhumanpodcast.com. Social media, heyhumanpodcast, if you're looking for that. Uh, Susan at heyhumanpodcast.com, if you're looking for that. If you'd like to help support Hey Human, you can do so. If you shop on Amazon, you go to heyhumanpodcast.com. And there's an Amazon portal at the top of the page. And you click on that, you do your Amazon shopping like normal, and that helps keep it ad-free, the podcast, I mean. And there's also a support Hey Human button on the website if you are so inclined. Uh, It is always uh, appreciated. Um, I wanted to give a shout-out to my dad who wrote a novel called Margaret, Outrageous Fortune. It's available now on, on Amazon. And I'm just so proud of him and excited about his book. I read it on the plane and it's so good. It was, I couldn't believe my dad wrote that. By the way, um, sorry about, there's some banging going on in the background. The Airbnb I'm staying at um, has construction going on. So if you hear that, I apologize for the sounds happening. I'm trying to squirrel away in this closet and it's, you know, sound is sound, it carries. Thank you to everyone who has been rating and reviewing. Hey, human. And please subscribe. Subscribing is a wonderful thing. Do it, do it, do it. Subscribe, subscribe. Um, Yeah, and just to everyone who's been getting the word out, I could not do this without you. And I know that. I am so appreciative that you are listening. Um, I couldn't do this without you. I would just be a person sitting in a closet talking to myself. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I've probably been known to do that a few times as well. But it's just, this is such a passion for me, and I love it, and I appreciate that you help me to bring it into the world. Um, yeah, so all that, and let's get going. Here is Dr. Yasmin Van Wilt, and thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Yasmin Van Wilt. Hi. Hi. Also known as Van Wilde. <laughs> Thank you for being on Hey Human. Thank you for having me. You are a fascinating woman <laughs> in that you are highly accomplished at a young age.
1: Your doctorate is in? Uh, uh, do you want the, the short? The short uh, whatever clip? you want to give. Uh, creative writing. Okay. With the focus on narrative storytelling. And what does that mean exactly? Ah, uh, that means theater. The songs that go in the theater. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, films that are developed out of theater, mm-hmm. and then separately gender sexuality and women's studies and post-colonial studies. So. That's an interesting... Pretty theory-heavy. That's an interesting uh, juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Colonialism
0: and, and gender studies. How, how do you fit those together?
1: So Global South studies, as an emergent field of thought, looks at... The ways in which gender, sexuality, and women's studies are informed by the presence of colonizing forces. Mm. So, for example, looking globally, at, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. looking at how um, First Nations women in Canada are affected by the presence of religion, um, the ways in which First Nations theater, music, and film are informed by the white gaze and ways that that uh, creative work can challenge that delve into that a little bit more what is that so try to find a way to talk about this that isn't super theory heavy <laughs> which <laughs> is not necessarily ultra exciting but basically there are ways to do storytelling and I know that you do this a lot in your own work and in your own painting that interrupt certain narratives. Mm-hmm. So um, new historicism is an idea okay. that suggests that new histories can be constructed when old histories are challenged. So, for example, um, I can transition into talking about some of my own stuff to give you something that you will have heard and that maybe people who are listening might have heard. So my song Mama is a song about uh, a young woman who kills her attacker. And she is actually hung for this. For the crime. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so this is based off of real narrative, real histories. But in this, um, the hanging happens at the end of the second verse and before the double chorus comes in. So we actually hear her after death calling back from the beyond. And we hear her talking to her mother about death and her fear of death and then after that her overcoming her fear of death and then speaking in this liminal way like she's a specter through space and time so that is my attempt is essentially to construct a narrative that empowers her voice that as a woman who is queer who is a feminist who studies this and is really passionate about finding new ways to empower women's histories. You're speaking of yourself, not the song. Exactly, the of myself character in, in the song. song. Yeah. But I've also I've also mm. overcome sexual assault. So mm. this song is about looking at what happened to women like me who experienced this 100 years ago, mm. 70 years ago, mm-hmm. and in many places still today who survive something terrible, who hurt the person who attacks them. And then who were faced with being charged as a criminal mm-hmm. and killed. Mm-hmm. And in this scenario, the fact that she is able to, to speak beyond the grave is meant to be an act of empowerment. So she is able to disrupt the narrative that she's a victim, that she is unable to even capture her, her agency over her own mm-hmm. story. Fascinating.
0: And it echoes what's going... there. The, the young girl who um, is being sentenced for... I think she's been released since, but um, over the last couple months, mm-hmm. she was uh, taken, sex trafficking case, and she killed her abuser or her pimp, the guy that took her in the first place and forced her to have sex and servitude. And then she ended up going to jail for killing him, which is a very bizarre twist. And, of course, people rallied to her and help pay her fund legal mm-hmm. defense and such mm-hmm. but it is a and sadly mm-hmm. a common story mm-hmm. throughout
1: history it's a very common narrative mm-hmm. and it's it is actually the prime driver for most women who commit violent crimes
0: mm-hmm.
1: they are often protecting themselves against someone who has attacked them mm-hmm. and prisons all over the world are, are filled with these women who mm-hmm.
0: and some men who have-
1: and, and some men too sure. exactly so yeah It's that you know women women who are incarcerated even in this particular day and time are the most sacrificable. They are completely and utterly removed from dialogue with power, and the moment of becoming incarcerated is a really interesting process whereby somebody loses their access to power. They lose citizenship, and they essentially become you know a persona non grata. Right. Women, women who are incarcerated don't even have access to feminine products. That's
0: right they have to buy their feminine products. it's dehumanizing yes it's deeply dehumanizing It's just it's crazy mm-hmm. yeah. You said something that made me realize, oh, yes, you are from Canada. Mm. Where are you from?
1: I'm from Montreal originally. Yeah, I think you said sorry or something. Yeah, <laughs> is, I don't know probably. what you said. Or a boot. Against. I you did, against yeah.
0: <laughs> something. So let's start uh, from the beginning of you, um, where I always like hmm. to start with my guests.
1: At the very beginning. That's right. A very good place to start. It is indeed. <laughs>
0: um, what informed you to become who you are now? You're very. I know you. I, mean, I know you well. You're very strong, very independent. You're a thinker. How were you raised up that created, that curated your mind, I <laughs> guess? This is. Well, I mean, for lack of a better way to put it. I love, that. Credit, I love that. Was there a tipping point intellectually? Was it just you were always this inquisitive mind? What really sparked that?
1: It's interesting how how we become whatever it is that we are, isn't it? That process and that journey.
0: That mm. was it. Process. Mm, mm, oh, mm-hmm. Canada.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> my home and native land. <laughs> I actually know that song.
0: What curated you?
1: Well, or I who, mean... Or who, for that matter. Or who, yeah. I mean, I think I, I feel as though I've always deeply identified with an outsider ideology, an outsider way of being, and... That certainly comes from, I think, an early understanding of the fact that I was different, being hyper aware of difference. So I mean, now I understand that some of those qualities that made it difficult for me to relate to other people have to do with having Asperger's, but as a young person, um, school was very frustrating for me I was really bored and I know that (laughs) that that will resonate with you and with a lot of other people Um, you know the the normal construct of education didn't really jive with what I needed as a person so I started taking college classes very very early Mm. and that was a that was a blessing in a in an atheist agnostic contextual way I also come from, I think, two very polymath, polymathical, Mm -hmm. polymathic people who come from... Born of polymaths. (laughs) Born of polymaths. We'll solve solve the plural. (laughs) And
0: A polymath being, for those that that don't know, a polymath being uh, a person who excels in a multitude of things... Yes. And
1: I was able to start music very early and able to start other creative endeavors early. Encouraged by Encouraged by my parents, certainly, and, and teachers and that was very lucky, I think. But I was also pretty badly bullied because of this sense of difference that was so obvious. And also I dressed differently. My parents were very religious, but, um, not in, a, <clears throat> a mainstream sort of way. They practice Sufism and explain what that is. Cause I think a lot of people have no idea. It's, <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's an interesting, uh, religion or philosophy or practice and that, it's it depends. mystic. It is mystic, yeah. exactly. It's, so the focus is on the mystical aspects of Islam and Sufis practice in many different ways, I think, depending on country of origin. But um, my parents were pious and <clears throat> that was also did a the, differentiating factor. Did the ecstatics come from the Sufis? Is that part of it? Um, some. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But your parents were more chill <laughs> No, I mean, my my parents were very dedicated to their practice as Sufis, but it was also not publicly discussed. Mm -hmm. So there was this dichotomy between our home life and our public life. Mm. And that created in me, um, I think, a deep need to study these things in a way that I could rationalize them. I rejected from a very early age the notion of any kind of organized practice of spirituality or religiosity. And also was starting to be identified by others really before I understood it myself to be queer. And that was another factor for differentiation. And another factor for people to bully So I started to really turn towards creative practice as a way to parallel things I'd experienced with protagonists from other stories. And then, you know, eventually that led to me turning quite seriously into the examination of creative practice performance, further study, and then doing that professionally whilst also doing that academically. So finding a way Mm -hmm. to take, These somewhat irreconcilable aspects of myself, I think we're always trying to do this, right? We're trying to reconcile things that are deeply at odds, but that we are driven to do. Mm -hmm. For some people, that is like Chekhov, uh, being a doctor and being a dramatist. For some people, that is being an athlete, but wanting to raise a family. So that, you know, the, we have these major choices that we have to make in our lives that are precipitated by uh, external call to actions or internal call to actions. And um, for me, I think, you know, it's, it's been this uh, deeply introverted aspect of me at odds with a compulsive desire to try to offer something to society. I feel a deep need.
0: Were you a practicing Sufi as well?
1: I was up until the age of about 12. And that was really the moment for me, in which I deeply rejected many of the notions of Sufism. I was also going to Catholic school, so I <laughs> concomitantly was rejecting Catholicism, really getting a strong sense of the fact that there was no room for this evolving feminist consciousness, for this evolving queer identity, and for these many questions that, you know, simply couldn't be rationally answered by either of those practices. By a deity? By... Or by
0: by a deity, or by an organized religion?
1: By an organized religion. Mm -hmm. I, I think I don't, you know, I think I'm too ignorant to be able to perceive deities, although I think that it's quite possible that things, beings, entities, far greater than us.
0: It's an interesting way to put it exist. that you feel that you're ignorant to understand deity. I don't understand what you mean by that exactly.
1: I just imagine that if we that we we as human beings would have to have a consciousness that was so much more elevated than the place that we've reached in order to comprehend some something so much greater than ourselves. You know, that that we the differentiation between the intelligence and capacity of Lower order animals mm. on this planet, in relation to us. Does that make you an atheist then, or does that just make you inconceivable? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I I, I vacillate uh, back and forth. I consider myself an atheist agnostic. To be m- most specific, I suppose, um, allowing you know, rejecting the concept that we are a higher higher order being of any of any kind. I. I um, in the grand scheme of the universe. In the grand mean? scheme of mm-hmm. the universe, mm-hmm. I suppose there's. I have a certain. Uh, Does that leave room then for I mean, something? I'm not a nihilist. Yeah, I'm because shy. I have the I, philosophical, I a philosophical. You are a <laughs> little bit. I mean, I suppose with a capital N, I'm not a nihilist because of all of the. Complications I feel towards that that movement and some I of the say people that. who move. a polyannic Okay, <laughs> that, gets me room. Yeah. that gets me wiggle room. <laughs> I mean,
0: I'm neither an, I'm not an atheist mm-hmm, either, mm-hmm. which is it's a very bizarre combination.
1: Mm-hmm. I try I try not to worship science, but I, I do mm. find so beautiful some comfort in <laughs> the revelations of quasars True. and sure. epigenetics and sure sure. The study of deep space. I think if I if I could do it all over again, I probably would become an mm-hmm. astrophysicist. Because mm-hmm. there was there was a turning point for me where I was either going to become a physicist or I was going to become an artist and I had to make a choice. I believe they're the same thing.
0: <laughs> I honestly do. I
1: don't, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I mean, I think we we tap into these non-teleological, non-chronological Ways of being and seeing. I mean even looking at acoustic vibrations and way that they influence the brain and looking at how memories and mm-hmm. uh, how feelings can be captured and displaced through the audience's experiencing something with the performer. An
0: observable song behaves differently than a song not being observed) <laughs> <laughs> That's a physicist joke.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's a mix of a physicist dad joke. <laughs> so next time I'm flat on something, I'll, I'm going to use that as my, that as my good. excuse. It's like, it's just because you were watching me when I don't have anyone watching. That's me. I right. do this perfectly. <laughs> exactly. My gosh. I do
0: everything perfectly when no one's watching. Right. Um, so, well, that's really interesting. So it's informing, all these things are informing who you are as a child. You, you're understanding that you're, uh, that you're not straight, that you're queer, as you put it, and which I always find delight in that word because mm-hmm. I think it's first of all I love any word that begins with a Q, mm-hmm. and secondly I just think it's it's an interesting, funny, like queer. Like what does that mean? Like oh, it's a little odd, but is it? It's you know it's it's I like the irony of the word mm-hmm. in that to me it's just as normal in this day and age. Mm-hmm. If somebody says I'm gay or I'm straight, I look at it the same. Mm-hmm. It's not queer at all to me, mm-hmm. but yet I get that self-identity and not being queer. I don't get to decide what a word is or isn't, as we talked about earlier off mic. Mm-hmm. Um, when you realized that not only were you queer, as you put it, but also you know, hyper-intelligent and also bored and also having um, a form of autism, right? Mm-hmm. All those things mixed together... Did you have anyone that was still saying "I see you," or were you in a universe all unto yourself? Because I think in some cases, when people feel like they're alone in the world, like that, and in you know the universe, that it it almost it can do one of two things, right? It'll send them deep into a hole, Mm -hmm. and it will, or it will shove them into the all of exploration. Mm -hmm. So, how did you at that precipice? How did you decide which way to leap at a young age, hmm. no less?
1: Well, I spent a lot of time observing people who are funny and popular. <laughs> it became a kind of, you know, it became a study for me. It really sure. was an exploration of examining what gets a laugh. Why are people laughing right now? Why do why does everybody think that person is cool? What is their behavior? What is their body language? And for a time, I completely reconstructed myself. Hmm. So I copied and mimicked, and I think being a performer and being an actor was really helpful for me because I could use this cerebral aspect of my nature to inhabit other people and to construct some idea of what I would like myself to be. And I found that truly freeing Mm. to be able to, I started writing monologues, and creating characters who were stronger and more comfortable and more assertive than me. And eventually, I found that I was architecturing my own nature. I was tapping into something, perhaps, deeply unknowable to myself before that point. And I think I also obscured myself. There was a period, maybe 10 years, where I disappeared That's a long time. It was a really long time. And I had to do this as a survival method because, you know, in a lot of ways in an industry that up until very, very recently punished difference. I mean, I think within the arts and within mainstream commercialization of all of these things, of all of these artistic products, People who were seen as differently abled were really punished for that for that difference, and uh, I think it took emerging from, and it you know it was initiated by a violent experience that I encountered, and then I think my re-emergence was ultimately initiated by by another really um pretty traumatic experience but it called it called out um what my mom would describe as the tiger nature that is somehow buried, buried pretty deeply within oneself and, and i think this is something a lot of women have to do
0: i apologize i turned this off and it turned itself back on when I plugged it in, I didn't realize it just wants to be seen. I know. Hi. When you plug in your phone, <laughs> it turns it on, and I forgot that. So I apologize for those annoying mate sounds. Me, me. Sorry. And that was a really important That's moment okay. that I just totally fucked with. That it was very intense. Anyway, so I'll edit that out. <laughs> um,
1: continue. Tiger moment. I think that women have been taught to sublimate their own power, because as we've discussed many times, the narrative of women like Lilith, who got completely exed out of the Bible, exactly, Mm -hmm. who are written out of the historical narrative, Mm -hmm. who are treated as whores, that there is this tremendous dichotomy between the acceptable woman's behavior and the unacceptable woman's behavior, not only
0: horrors but crone, because I think just like the elderly is is mm-hmm. frowned upon, mm-hmm. the crone of wisdom, right? She she who knows all, she who knows more,
1: mm-hmm.
0: also vilified.
1: Mm-hmm. the elderly are sh- sh- for sure, you for sure, yeah. and I, the idea that one cannot be the maiden, the mother, and the crone; that one mm-hmm. can only be one of these identities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. They prefer maiden. <laughs> they prefer maiden. It, the maiden is a supplicant. The maiden is malleable and bendable and mm-hmm. naive. And I this is something that you and I have talked about before too, obviously. And it's a fascinating subject. It mm-hmm. really is,
0: I, I, yeah. I think, personally. Mm-hmm. I fascinated. mean, the,
1: the maiden is the archetype that is fetishized by hypermasculine cultures, by cultures that are obsessed with Valorizing and perpetuating the myth of male power. So I think that I had to find something within myself. I had to, I had to stop being afraid of my own capacity. I had to stop being afraid that people wouldn't accept me if they knew what I really thought. Powerful, 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 I, powerful. I had had enough experiences that asserted that. I thought I wouldn't be loved. I didn't think anyone would want to be with me. I didn't think that I could have a career if I was too scary. Um, You know, if I spoke my mind and if I was um, as powerful on stage as a man. uh, This is why I love the poem by uh, Maya Angelou, The
0: Still I Rise. mm -hmm. You know, because I do think that women have that thing that if you show up too loud, too strong, too... Powerful, too smart. You know all these things. There's a vilification that transpires, and there's there's still this weird thing that if you speak of feminism, of women's strength, or of uh, the power that men have had historically over mm-hmm. the narrative, that somehow you are you hate men, mm-hmm. or and that's not the case at all. I know you. And you adore men. Mm-hmm. The, you know there's no there's no question about that. Mm-hmm. And I've said this before, but I think it's so important to note that being a feminist does not equal being a man hater. It has nothing Mm, to do with mm, that mm, at mm. all.
1: Mm -hmm. Especially intersectional feminism. So I identify as an intersectional feminist because it identifies the space that needs to exist for people of all gender identities, of all ethnicities, of all abilities, of all classes of all languages, of all religions. And You're the, a damn hippie. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm, a major, I'm a major hippie. I'm a major hippie. Um, and also, inter, you know, intersectional feminism allows for very close critical examination of critical race studies, of global south studies, and, and all, of all of these different intersecting ways of thinking and being and that's really what I feel like we need at the table we have to be able to talk about all of these things in a way that we're not silencing one person by empowering another
0: it wasn't until I met you that I had ever heard that Mm -hmm. phraseology and uh and I was like oh my gosh I'm that too Mm -hmm. you don't you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. you just live your life and you you speak your mind and you are what you are and then somebody says oh that's this Mm -hmm. you go oh so Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. i just thought it was being a human being Mm -hmm. but it's Mm -hmm. got a fancy word Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm.
1: it's it's not a new concept it emerged As a result of the work of Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, and she is truly brilliant, if you Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to speak with her for this podcast. Is she at Union College? She is at Columbia. Oh, okay, Columbia University. She has been many places. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe she was at UCLA before Columbia, but she is one of the preeminent scholars of critical race studies, mm. legal studies, mm-hmm. humanist legal studies, and well, feminist she studies. fascinating. She is. And also,
0: I always put links on heyhumanpodcast.com, mm-hmm. and uh, I put books up there all the time. And for those of you listening, if any of the things that are talked about on any of these episodes intrigue you, I encourage you to go to that links page and, and get the books that are there and,
1: and read about it and mm-hmm. learn about it mm-hmm. for sure. So It helps support Hey Human, too. Exactly, and I think that you, you know everyone benefits from engaging in these conversations, so mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity for people, and I'm happy to answer any questions if people have questions they would like to talk about. How do they contact you? They can email me at artistinresidenceatcugmhp.org. I'll put that on the website, too. It's my Columbia University Email. Okay, um,
0: so you you're you're coming into your own at this point. You're understanding your own path as much as any of us do, um, and music is is the thing. Music and theater, right? You're not a traditional artist, as in such that you I would put you under the category of performance art, thinking art. You know, you're saying something more specific. Mm-hmm. You're telling a story and narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the what Van Wild is
1: exactly, <laughs> or unexactly. <laughs> sure. Well, Van Wild is a project that has evolved over the last five or six years, but it's not the first project that I've released musically. And um, it was precipitated by a number of plays and films that I did before that. Van Wild is a blues rock, art rock project that I am hoping will continue to evolve thanks to collaboration with people like you and Tyler Kane and Wade McCollum and Daphne Willis. In this space, I'm trying to queer spaces, I'm trying to take mainstream dialogues that are easy for people to access and mm-hmm. interject women's voices and queer voices within this. I'm hoping to normalize a woman's voice being in this position. And I am excited about releasing a version of Folded Flag in May. This song you wrote. A song that I, I wrote with um, two other extraordinary writers, mm-hmm. and it was really a joy to do that song. But this this song I'll be delivering from the perspective of a queer woman soldier Mm. who is writing to her partner who is pregnant back home. And this is in response to the very real experience of many queer people who are in the military who are now finding that their ability to be safe, to have benefits, to continue serving is being challenged by legislation that the Trump administration has put in power. And I find that really upsetting. I as well. That people are willing, that are, are expressing their nationalism and their pride and their desire to protect something that they believe in. And that they are being attacked for their gender identity in some cases or their sexual identity. It's very, very concerning. I identify as a pacifist, but I come from a military family, and I see a big difference between people who serve and the governments who send those people to war. Absolutely. I don't. I feel that we should. Although I don't support the choices of administrations, and I am not a supporter of war in general. Although I sometimes think it may not be avoidable, and I, I vacillate back and forth on my agreement or disagreement with that. But, oh, bless you. Thank you, pardon. But I feel very strongly that when people return from war, they need to be supported when people come back from the process of being part of a military entity, that they have needs that need to be met by the society that has asked this of them or to which they have dedicated their lives. Absolutely. So this song, um, I'm hoping, is going to create some, some more space. But also, I'm trying to create these anthems for women's empowerment and for women's power. And I think when, you know, when we celebrate equality and we celebrate the power of women, everyone wins. Mm. Men are not emasculated. By celebrating the power of women, men yes. lose nothing. Right by acknowledging we don't want them the to. power of women.
0: Yeah, and we don't want. I mean, I don't want them to. I want there to be equality. Mm-hmm.
1: Everyone, not, everyone and should not have dis- the same access to opportunity. Yes, that's all.
0: Not disproportionate equality. Either, not which not is not better thing. or more. Yeah. Just
1: same as. Right,
0: right. What? okay, so you teach what and as well the very, you you have a, kind a grant. Of. Well, you' have grants, so you've mm-hmm. been awarded some pretty. let's talk about that. You've been awarded some pretty incredible things.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. They are. <laughs> well, um, I mean I guess we could talk about what I'm doing right now. Yeah, let's do that. So I'm an Andrew W. Mellon Fellow, which is a Big deal. It's, an, it's a big deal. Uh, thank I think. you. Yeah. I mean, it's an honor granted by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, and um, I am in residence at Union College in the state of New York. It's a really fabulous institution, and um, I have not taught, although I've done a number of workshops and performances on campus. You've you've and stepped in and. I think
0: because when I was in, yeah, I've co-taught some, yeah, Yeah, I've co-taught
1: some gender, sexual, I'm waving your flag, girl, (laughs) yeah, um, yeah, no, I, I, um, I really enjoy the opportunity to have those conversations with young women who are at the point in their lives during which they are framing their ways of being and their ways of seeing, and it's really exciting for me to see that they're not that much younger than me, but they have had to do so much less work to assert themselves.
0: Because many women who have come before them have blazed the trail. Mm-hmm. And men. Exactly. I'm, I don't want to put men out of that equation either because there are plenty of men who have... A lot of people have done a lot of work, Yeah,
1: I think. And I try to remind myself of that when I feel dismayed or frustrated or just disgruntled by what appears to be slow progress that there are these moments that are really heartening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm excited to do to do more of that. Um, I'm also an artist-in-residence at Columbia University with the Global Mental Health Program. What, and, what brought you in that direction? Well, um, you know, the medical humanities have always been an area of study that really fascinates me. And I... Have spent a lot of time thinking about the manifestation of mental illness and mental health issues, and also non-neurotypical people and the ways in which those identities are performed. And um, I have that I, word, non-neurotypical. Yeah, That's a great. Yeah, turn really, of the tongue. Different, different wiring for different folks. So. This, is, this presents a really exciting opportunity for collaboration with the United Nations and the World Health Organization and Kathleen Pike, who has become a dear friend and is the executive director of the CUGMHP program. And we are just about to launch into a really major project with EverFi, who are extraordinary, to create writing literature, teaching modules in different ways that address the American mental health problem, the global mental health problem, sexual assault, prevention, bullying. So we'll be looking and diving really deeply into the examination of how people could or should be thinking about these things Mm. from about the ages of 12 all the way through to adults and graduate students and professional, corporate individuals. And I'll also be doing a tremendous amount of creative work in support of this dialogue and this discussion. So for me, this is really the epitome of everything I've really hoped to do in that I'm I'm utilizing my scholarly training and my scholarly passions, which are a deep need of, of mine, and merging that with my artistic work and my artistic vision for the way that we can negotiate national and international conversations about identity, access to power, social justice, and attitude. Mm-hmm. In the wake of I We were in a meeting with Beth, Carol Davidson, who is one of the founders and executives at Everfy whilst the information about the shooting in Florida unfolded. Parkland, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Mitchell, who um, is oh. also collaborating on this project, was sitting opposite me, and she just pushed her phone mm. over and showed me this news briefing. Mm. And the two of us had this shared moment of palpable rage, where we just felt... I could see that we were experiencing the same thing, and we just felt this rage of, as my father used to say, righteous indignation. That this is the times. There's absolutely no more time to sit on the sidelines and watch the mass dehumanization of a culture, of a society, of a way of being. That you know, this this is this is absolutely the point of no return.
0: You're speaking to the children. They're supposed to be able to go and get an education mm-hmm. without fear of what might happen next. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't and, think you know, that and people... also looking e- at the mental health, you know, yeah. there's there a correlation between, you know, yes. the two things. Like, the gun laws in this country are insane. For people mm. who are not raised here, the sheer horror and shock of the way that the acculturation of this gun ownership is embedded in identity is really terrifying. Well, I think if anyone looks at
0: the news and is horrified by, excuse me, a village of children in Africa having, you know, people uh, come in and machete an entire school to death, if that horrifies you, and it should, then so should someone coming in and shooting up a bunch of kids in their classroom in the U.S. There's, There's no difference. Now... That's not to say that you know they're not going to pass machete laws in Africa. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that that where is the you know the horror needs to be seen, and and mm-hmm. and, and acknowledged. People, everyday people, don't need military grade weaponry. They just don't. They don't need it for hunting. They don't need it. And you know, if you argue that, I saw some post saying. Well, you need an AR-15 if, let's say you're hunting wild boar, and what if the boar turn on you? And I say, well, why don't you ask Joe Rogan that, who hunts
1: boar with a bow and arrow? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's really strange. I, don't, I think that, you know, we're, we're in a real period of growing pain. Mm, yeah. And progress is slow for the most part. Sure.
0: And And I also, I mean, I challenge anyone who, likely some people listening are going to disagree with me, but I challenge you to keep listening, just like I keep trying to listen to why... So far I haven't heard an argument that I really understand from the other side, to be honest. I'm trying to have empathy and to understand where they're coming from, but I don't...
1: Yeah. I mean, this conversation is fear-based on both sides. Mm. Those who are against access to military-grade weapons and who are appalled by school shootings and acts of violence and who are upset about gun laws are reacting to fear. Mm -hmm. And those who are pro-RIFLE, who are pro-NRA, are also reacting to fear. Mm -hmm. And so in a conversation in which the debate is, is truly irrational, because it's so loaded with emotional content, nice it's really difficult. Like, <laughs> yeah. really difficult to 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 achieve a resolution or yeah. to achieve. A...
0: And my father and I are opposite sides of this, by the way. Mm-hmm. And we've had some really fascinating conversations. Um, I still don't understand his point, as he doesn't, I'm sure, understand mine. Mm-hmm. But it's good to keep talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, I I kind of hold on to the fact that a lot of other countries in the world, um, when they achieve greater states of democracy and achieve greater states of equanimity and social and political and human rights evolve past the use of this kind of... Weaponry and in our, in our evolution, in this country's evolution. And we're young. We're by young. The way. Yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, there's a knock at the door. That might be. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of hijacked that with the, with the conversation about guns, but uh, really quick, can
1: you tell people where to find you and such? Sure. So I am at www.yasminvanwilt.com and that's Y A S. M I N E V A N W I L T dot and music by Van Wild. So Van Wild is V A N W I L D. And I am on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all of the other glorious social medias <laughs> under those handles as well. So Yasmin Van Wilt and Van Wild. As two separate handles. So, yeah, please follow and reach out. Yeah. I love chatting with people. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye.